0: It's an amazing, it's an amazing time in our church. It really is. It's, usually you bleed energy going into summer, and what's kind of fun right now is that we're gaining, we're gaining steam. Uh, it's, uh, how many people sang in the concert last night? How, how many people, yeah. Okay, how many people went to the concert, the patriarch? yeah. Isn't that, wasn't that fantastic? Yeah, So it's that kind of, it's. Yeah, Dr. Heidi, just unreal. Dr. Heidi was in a meeting all morning with me and the leaders of our church, and then came back and led those two uh, concerts. Just fantastic. But that I I, I don't know. You, you can't really can that and bottle that and say here have this and take it home. You your 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 heart is filled in that, and then you take that into your life. A sense of country, a sense of destiny, a sense of who you are, and what it means to be an American. And, and we've been working hard as a church. We, we, we've had a, what's called a strat thing, which is a, a manner in which we do our strategic planning and figure out which goals and which pieces of life need to be attacked first. And. And we had a report out from three of our teams yesterday. One was a radical hospitality team. And it was fun watching the courtyard today and the campus in light of uh, what we had heard yesterday from this team. Things as simple as we can't have warm donuts anymore and we need to have more shade to things like we need to have a captain out there who sees the new people and greets them and loves them and brings them in so they can meet a pastor or whatnot. And, and to see the courtyard filled with activity today instead of the 8 o'clock people getting their donut and then walking out, you know, it just, it just, people were sticking and we're gaining momentum. Another one of our initiatives is, is that of kind of redefining our uh, discipleship pathway. And we looked at that and we said we've got a lot of words there. And a group of really deeply committed, devout members of our church looked at that and said, let's connect to Christ and let's grow in relationships and let's share life together. And and we really worked on what it looked like to engage more people in that. And again, added more energy and more steam to the ministry God has, has given us here. And the last piece was the piece of working on inclusion and community to include more and more people in the community of faith at saint john's and how do we help them get in and walk in christ how do we help them to connect to grow and to share and the strategies and the pieces that came forward were were awesome last sunday at 11 o'clock this whole section was filled with the baptismal family they said we're going to bring 80 people to church and they brought 80 people to church This morning, this whole side was filled up at 8 o'clock to represent a beautiful little boy who pastor baptized named Lucas and the family here to support and love and encourage rather than taking summer off to kind of chill and regroup. It's just a powerful time in our church. We're ready for vacation Bible school, ready to rip on that. We filmed all our life group stuff. It's, It's an amazing, amazing thing to see us add momentum and add steam rather than kind of bleed energy as we go in, into the, into the summer. And I think about that as we come to the text today from Mark chapter 3. You see, it's only in the rock solid convictions that what you're doing is the right thing and godly that you can really make confident decisions. When we hymn and we haw and we say, well, I don't know about this or that or uh, maybe this, maybe that, maybe God, maybe not and all that stuff. But when we stand rock solid on the promises of God in our Lord Jesus Christ, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, sitting in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and articulated for us clearly in Mark chapter 4. To know Jesus, to know who He is and what He did, and I don't mean know Jesus just here, I mean your whole body, soul, and spirit to know the Lord, and to be in a life-giving relationship with Him. Man, the sense of confidence that gives in the decisions that you make in your life, the powerful thing. And I say that because we live in an age of great skepticism. And that I believe with all my heart. I found this little meme. I thought this was cute. You're skeptical of your skepticism. Well, I'm a little skeptical of that. Right. If you can doubt it to one degree, I can doubt it to one and you can doubt it again. And all of a sudden, instead of believing something wholeheartedly, it's almost a a value of our age to punch holes into something that is real. To the point where someone could say this is black and another person will say, no, this is white. And let's sit and argue about it when everyone knows that the truth is it's really black, not white. But that age of skepticism coming from the age of enlightenment allows us to say, I can be skeptical of just about anything. Now, that puts us in really good company. I mean, skeptical people have abounded, even people in the Bible times when God came and spoke to them. If you remember Moses in the burning bush, the bush came over, Moses came and looked at it and said, who is this, what's going on? And and finally, Moses had to say, Who are you? And the Lord said, I am who I am, Moses. This is holy ground, and have I got something for you? And doubt and fear having been translated into faith and action? Moses' doubt was overcome. Gideon had to lay out a fleece. God could make the fleece wet and the ground dry, the ground dry and the fleece wet, make it all dry, make it all wet, and then finally Gideon went. Andrew, who's one of my favorite disciples, always looking at possibilities, came forward with the little boy's lunch and said, here's five fish and two loaves. And then he says, well, but what is that among so many? In Matthew 28, it worked out as Jesus was preparing to ascend into heaven. Matthew writes, then they worshiped him, comma, and some doubt. Skepticism isn't just part of our age and our time. People for all generations have been trying to figure out. And with Andrew, perhaps my favorite one is the guy who said, unless I see your hands inside and feet, I will not believe it. I doubt it. And his name was Doubting, right? Forever linked with skepticism. Would have been a poster child for 2018 life in America. But sometimes we too wonder, perhaps not in the sense that we lose our faith or skepticism and doubt and questioning eats us up, but in the sense that we kind of look at ourselves at a biblical truth or a reality of life and we say, really? You really believe that? You really believe that's how it came down? You really believe Adam and Eve were naked and they didn't have a clue? You really believe a snake came and talked to them? You really believe that promise that God said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, really? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I confidently and resolutely believe that. Not because I've seen the snake talk and not because I've seen Adam and Eve naked, but I believe it because God kept the promise at the end of Genesis 3 where he said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I believe that with all my heart through faith in Jesus Christ because the seed of the woman, Jesus, crushed the head of the serpent, the evil one, the devil, and set us free from sin and death. I believe that with all my heart and I hope you do as well. I love the idea of Mark chapter 20. Mark wants to make sure that we know exactly what's going on before we read into the more of the story of Jesus of Nazareth. He wants to make sure that you have that rock solid footing, that you're not climbing across a creek and all of a sudden the bridge or the rock or whatever goes out from underneath you and you fall in and get wet. Mark wants to make sure that you know who Jesus is so that you can answer the question, in whom do you believe? In whom do you trust? And why do you trust him? And to answer the question, would you be willing to stake your life and your eternal destiny on Jesus of Nazareth? He wants to make sure that in a time of doubt that the followers of Jesus believe in faith who he is and what he does. And the words that Jesus gives us today through Mark are words that clarify for us exactly Who Jesus is and so there's different groups of people there's the crowd and the crowd is here in Mark chapter 3 verse 20 then Jesus entered the house and again a crowd gathered around so that his disciples were not even able to eat I'm not big on eating so much these days that's not a big uh, that's not a big need for me so much I don't really sit and sweat that too much but I didn't walk four or five miles to this house in the heat of the day I wasn't invited in like the disciples were to come in and have something to eat. And then people are pushing at Jesus so hard that they can't do the host and hostess and guest and visitor thing. But the crowd had seen what had gone on earlier. In Mark chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus casts out an evil spirit and the crowd got bigger and more frenzied. In Mark chapter... 1 verse 29 Jesus casts out Jesus heals many many people the crowds are bringing their friends and hurting ones to Jesus and he heals them and then again in Mark chapter 1 verse 40 Jesus heals a leper which is a a big deal and again in Mark chapter 2 verse 1 Jesus hears a paralytic and so the crowd is frenzied Everywhere Jesus stops, something big happens. Something big kind of makes its way. Someone pushes forward. And so the crowd has seen the miracles. They've heard the preaching. And they're trying to figure it out. And their skepticism is met with the divinity of Jesus. And so based on what he's done, they believe. And they press into the house so much that they can't even eat or do their thing. The crowd is in the signs and the wonders and in the text jesus family is here too and this is awesome this is something i don't think i'd ever preached on this text until this week and i love this verse when jesus family heard about this they went to take charge of him for they said he is out of his mind that word for out of his mind means he's literally outside of himself And so your brother who who knows you really good, he's trying to figure out why you're antagonizing their religious leaders. Maybe it's that Jesus in teaching has gotten too big a head, he's too cocky, he's too arrogant or crazy. Maybe my brother, my son has lost his marbles here and now he's got everyone tracked off. He's got this ministry of signs and wonders going on. God only knows what's going to happen next. He's crazy and we'll just scoot him out of here. Because we can get Jesus out of here, it's less about us. We can be quiet, go back to Nazareth, and just chill out. He's existing. me. He's out of his self. He's out of his mind. Anybody read John Steinbeck? Oh, come on, I'm not the only one who's read John Steinbeck. Love John Steinbeck. One of my favorite stories of his is The Red Pony. And in that pony, the little guy was called Mr. Big Britches. And there's a couple times through that story where he says the little boy says something an adult would say and the other person in the story says, "Well, you better calm down, Mr. Big Britches." And I thought of that Steinbeck piece when when Jesus is here. Here's a young guy preaching and they're saying, "Easy, Mr. Big Tunic, Mr. Big Britches." You're not the kid we knew in Nazareth. You better calm down and get with the program. They were skeptical about who their brother was and what was going on. And the scribes and the Pharisees took it to a whole different level. Scripture says, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is casting out demons. Huh. And it's almost as if In the midst of that huge crowd, Jesus hears this especially. Like when you hear your name at a baseball game and you turn around in this crowd, it's it's almost as if when they said Beelzebub, Jesus turned around and said, wait. You mean to tell me you're gonna look at the healing of a paralytic, a healing of a leper, a healing of many people, and the casting out of a demon, and you're gonna say that I'm evil? Seriously? Let's just take a look at this. A house divided against itself can't stand. They're either aligned or they're sunk. There's no way that the evil one is going to break apart because I'm in the mission to crush him. Like you wouldn't go into a strong guy's house if he wasn't tied up and steal from you. You got to wait till he's subdued and then take him. You guys are crazy if you think that this is coming from darkness instead of light. And then those very... Painful words. Jesus says you can blaspheme against the Son of Man. He's saying, in essence, you can blaspheme against me all you want. But when you look at the gifts of God and the work of God and the things of God, and you call that evil, that's blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, who has provided these venues and these signs to bring you to faith in the Son of Man and for you to reject what the Spirit has provided you means you are damned without hope of forgiveness. Wow. Pretty serious stuff. The religious leaders of the day better be very careful what they say is satanic and what is of God. Lest their skepticism lead them to hell. So where do you go with your doubts? What do you believe? What is the value system upon which you make the decisions of your life? The big decisions that move your life in a whole different trajectory, and the little decisions that move you one or two degrees, but then in the course of a lifetime, move you a long, long ways. What are those things that are rock solid, that take your doubts away? What are those things that humanity wrestles with over and over again? And finally, there's something that says, this I believe. This is the truth. And then the rest of life is built on that. Mark would say, build that confidence and that foundation on Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. In 1941, C.S. Lewis started a series of radio talks. The government came to him, and the BBC came to him and said, Lewis, you're our guy. Is there anything you can do for morale? Are there some things that you can can, can write and put together that will lead our country to be galvanized and, and put together? And so Lewis wrote the book, Mere Christianity, as an adaptation of the three years of radio broadcasts that he did. I believe that was from 1940 to 1943. And recently, our Tuesday morning men's Bible study group that meets 7 a.m. in the garage that anyone is welcome to, any guy is welcome. You can come. I mean, guys are welcome. We'd love to have you come. We have a good time. We'd love for you to come. Tuesdays, 7 o'clock, in the garage. It's, it's fantastic. We worked all the way through this book. And Lewis works in this book first in kind of a nebulous way. Is he a Christian? Is he not a Christian? Lewis deals with his atheistic, agnostic path. And, and he comes down to this piece... About 50 pages into the book, Lewis writes this, he says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. Either this man was and is the son of God, or a madman, or something worse. The rest of the book, Lewis goes on to make a marvelous, marvelous apologetic for Christianity. It is one of the best books you'll ever... I'm a better Christian today because I skipped reading this book my sophomore year of college and picked it up 30 years later and read it as an adult human and believed more powerfully in the promise of God by the words of C.S. Lewis. So take your skepticism and your doubt to the scriptures. Take your skepticism of Jesus of Nazareth to Isaiah 35, verses 6 and 7. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf do stop. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Take your doubts to Isaiah who looked forward in faith to the suffering servant Messiah and whose prophecy was fulfilled in Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 3. Look at the things of God of people renewed, of lives healed, of brokenness made whole. Look at Jesus of Nazareth all the way back thousands of years and the word of promises kept and believe in Jesus. The veracity of claims, the veracity of his claims are proven true in the ministry that he provided. The crowd saw it that day and you see it here this morning not in the words of Lewis Trilemma but in the words of Scripture breathed by the Spirit delivered into your heart. Take your skepticism to the Scriptures and believe He's Lord because He has the power over sickness and evil. No one ever in the history of the world did what Jesus of Nazareth did. And so in faith, cling to Him. And the broken pieces of your life cling tenaciously to Jesus of Nazareth. When the body is broken and the mind isn't sharp, when the waistline, preaching to myself, huh? hold tenaciously to Jesus. Because in all the doubt, all the skepticism, faith informs with confidence and leads us to a rock-solid place upon which to make decisions and live our lives. In faith, hold on to Jesus and never, never let go. And I believe Jesus Christ is Lord because of what Mark wrote. Mark chapter 14, verses 15 and 16. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard the cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. If you won't be convinced by the miracles and the healings and the preaching and the authority of Jesus, then be convinced by his death and his resurrection. Because a Roman Gentile outsider was. And we have his words recorded by an eyewitness named Mark who looked through the eyes of a man named Peter, who was there that day at the cross. I believe Jesus Christ is Lord because He suffered and He died on a cross for me. And I'm not afraid of that, and I don't doubt that. Rather, the decisions and the inspiration and the motivation for my life and yours is found in the words of, those cent- of that centurion. So trust in Jesus and let go. Let go of sin, of addictive, repetitive sin that's like luggage. Let it go, confess it to Jesus, and be done with it. And trust that he takes care of those pieces. Let go of the broken pieces of your life. Sometimes the broken pieces of our life empower us to stay the same. And we hold on to those broken pieces like kind of a, a dysfunctional teddy bear that, 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 that gives us kind of dysfunctional comfort. Over the time of my recovery from surgery, I really had to let go of the piece of anger because I got so angry. And it took a while to let it dissipate from my soul and let it go because it was a, a little bit of that that gave me impetus and motivation to be tough when love and trust are better pieces to inspire and motivate yourself. Let go and trust God to take care of the broken pieces and you'll find a different energy for your life. And sometimes that's very cognitive. I'm letting this go. And sometimes those painful pieces find resolution in community I'm thinking specifically of grief and the loss of a loved one. Finds resolution as people come to you and put their arms around you and love on you. Trust God and let go of sin and broken pieces and of all the stuff you can't control. What a horrible myth the myth of control is. There's so little that's really in our control, reminded of a family who lost a loved one. They were in complete control of everything going on in their lives, and a person runs a right, red light in Huntington Beach, and you realize how out of control you truly are. Families have their whole lives planned out and things totally ready to go, and it's going to go like this and go like this and go like that, and then something shifts. And it all goes a different direction. Trust God and let go of your sin and your broken pieces and all the stuff you can't control. And there's this marvelous peace that comes from Jesus that he breathes out his spirit upon us and allows us in an age of skepticism to believe and not doubt, to have faith to hold on to him and trust to let go. I hope that Mark spoke to your soul today because as we continue to dig through this and work through this gospel, he uses 15 verses, which in Mark is a huge number of verses. He uses 15 verses to make sure we are squared away and that we believe in Jesus and that we're ready to watch him go to the cross to bring his victory over death, Beelzebub, the evil one, and to bring us life and salvation in his name. We're ready for that journey because we believe in Jesus. Amen. Please join me for a word of prayer. Lord, it's so good to be together this morning. We gather together resolute, faithful, strong, sometimes with questions and sometimes with wondering, but always back to you and to your word and to your cross. We pray this morning for those things that we need to hold on to and not give away in faith and for those things we need to let go of in trusting you. Visit us, Lord, as we celebrate this supper together, as, as, as we come forward for a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine. You have a way of, of in that helping us hold on and helping us let go. And wherever each one of us is as individuals as we receive that, you deliver your spirit and your grace and the unity with you and the unity with the community we have here. Thank you for that gift and ready our hearts as we receive it in Jesus' name.